Before we jump into today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences that we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So let's get comfy and talk about death. Hello and welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. And I'm red this week. I am flying solo for this episode. It's another edition of our Curiosities question answering segments. It, admittedly, this was a much overdue session. We have uh, DM questions piling up for months now on a specific platform. And uh, as they say, better late than never. So here we go with some queries of our Tumblr account. I completely blame the ban on explicit content for the uh, reduced interest in visiting Tumblr, in <laughs> honesty. Uh, and I've decided to do this episode solo this week just because a lot of these um, questions were completely uh, towards just funeral directors in general. And so even though uh, I know me and my beloved co-hosts uh, usually have a nice dichotomy together uh, of all of us, you know, bantering back and forth, I thought this would be a more direct episode. Just me to you guys, essentially. So first up, uh, Vulture Quill asks, what is your most touching funeral? Um, so for this one, I'm actually going to kind of steal the thunder on this one because as I was thinking through this, I mean, I've been to obviously so many different funerals and there are quite a few aspects that make funerals more touching. I, I honestly couldn't think of one right off the top of my head that just blew me out of the water, especially because I don't always find myself completely emotionally attached to all of the families that I serve. But one of my most touching funerals was actually one of my own family's funerals. It was my grandmother's funeral. And it was actually pretty much the first funeral I ever attended, like as an adult that I could remember, you know, not when you're a kid and that doesn't really stick in your in your memory as much. When my mom had gotten up to speak at her funeral, um, she had brought a poem with her to read as part of her, her little uh, eulogy. And I, I was already kind of broken up, you know, during the, the funeral, as most people are, but I completely lost it, absolutely completely lost it when she started reading the poem, because it was a poem that I had written to my mom uh, when I was a child. Uh, it was basically just like a, a poem about, you know, a mom births a daughter, the daughter grows up to take care of the mom, that kind of thing. And so having her, she had held onto that poem and had remembered it enough to be able to bring it and read it. And it just like, I, I absolutely was <laughs> started bawling like crazy. Like no one else around like knew why I was crying so hard. Um, but yeah, that, that absolutely just that ramped it up so much for me that it was so personal, uh, not only to obviously my, my grandmother's funeral and to my mom, but especially to me. So that really, that really brought me in. So that's kind of, I guess, further an answer. Most touching funerals is something that um, you can make what you're saying personal to celebrating the life of the person who has passed, but also to involve people at the funeral uh, and, and bring them in and, and create this connection and this connectedness. So I would recommend that for anybody that's looking to have a meaningful funeral themselves. Our next question, it's an anonymous submission, 
If some kind of parasite was able to make human corpses into puppets, how long before decops stopped the zombie apocalypse? Uh, I love I love these honest questions <laughs> that all of us are kind of thinking, but you don't know we, we never had somebody or an outlet to be able to ask them to. So this is a good question, and it has a few different answers. In warmer climates, people are going to be a lot more safe from the zombie apocalypse. I would say less than a week for sure. Some bodies that I have seen that have passed at like home or something with the heat up under a blanket, I mean, even at just a few days, those people are starting to completely liquefy advanced stages of decomposition. So the other end of that is going to be like the the colder climates, right? So uh, the north and south of the equator climates, and those bodies are going to be a lot slower, a lot stiffer. I have to trudge through a lot more snow, but a lot more easy to avoid and evade. So pretty much uh, like the inverse of like a 28 days later type of zombie. Uh, maybe that's like a, a strategy, right? If you, you know, the zombie apocalypse does finally come, go north or go south. Get to the snowiest area that you can figure out. What's going on behind the moon asks, I've noticed in the mortuary tag, there are some images of deceased people before or after body restoration, just showing the face. And one picture that showed a woman working on a deceased person that exposed the genitals and had the body open, exposing organs. This violates the privacy and dignity of the deceased, especially without consent. And I'm wondering, don't people sign confidentiality agreements? Would this cause someone to lose their license? So... When it comes to posting pictures of dead bodies online, especially it sounds like you're referencing something like either from a morgue or some type of like research facility, potentially, I I can see where there would be concern about somebody's, uh, even after they pass, their consent uh, and their autonomy. So something that you lose actually upon death are all of those things. Um, You become uh, what's called quasi-property in the eyes of the law. And in... Certain respects, I would absolutely agree with you. So if I, you know, were to just go to work and start taking pictures of dead bodies that have families that I just met with, that they're having open casket visitations, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that would be an extreme violation of um, not even just their dignity, but like my funeral home's rules. So in that respect, absolutely not not a cool thing. And it, it all depends on context, right? We actually had somebody fired from uh, one of my funeral homes that I worked for because they took a selfie with a stretcher in the back of the van and posted it to Facebook. And I, I don't remember exactly if the pers- there was actually a person underneath the cot cover or if it was just you know, an empty cot, but they uh, their friend ratted them out since they had the funeral home on their Facebook, uh, you know, where I work section. Uh, and then, yeah, they were fired because that's not the kind of publicity that people want. To the opposite end of that, if it is like a research facility, pictures like that, I mean, it's educational, really, is, is to be able to, you know, share those aspects with people online. And there are some deceased that are either willed to science or are like indigent and basically become uh, a case that's handled by like the state or city. There aren't really any next of kin to be able to uh, object to that kind of thing. So I, I can't say I know the exact laws when it comes to that kind of thing, but I, I assume that when willing one's body to science, there are probably some new types of uh, custody things that come into play where it's like, well, you are this university's property now to be able to use for scientific research and uh, taking uh, photos and video would be part of that. Our next question, Anonymous asks, 
I've recently decided I want to go into mortuary school for embalming and cremating, but I've found that I'm not too interested in the part dealing with families. I'd like to be working primarily with the deceased. Is this a job that is possible? I know with school, I would learn proper communication skills, but I feel like a fraud because I've never dealt with loss or grief before. I'll be shadowing jobs over the summer as well, so I can see how I handle everything before I go to school. Thank you. So, yes... Yes, and I have. I always have a lot to say about this when I get asked this question kind of a lot, actually. <laughs> I will mention one thing where you mentioned learning uh, proper communication skills at school. You will not. <laughs> you will not learn any of that at school. <laughs> when it comes to talking to uh, family members or somebody who's lost uh, a loved one, that's something that you can learn. And some people just have it or they don't. It's, it's not easy with, I mean, any skill set, you can, you know, enough time, put enough time and, and effort into it and practicing, you know, you do get better. But yeah, school's not going to teach you that. School barely teaches you anything, but that's just my opinion about it. <laughs> with, you know, my journey through the death care industry to be able to be a funeral director and I sucked. Like out the gates, I was the same way. I just wanted to do care center work. I just wanted to embalm, work in the back of house in the dungeon. I, I, I never really liked the small talk and, you know, the comforting thing. I had never really dealt with grief before. So like, you don't really know how to put yourself in those shoes. And honestly, the, the fake it till you make it statement stands super true with this. I just acted. I, I treated it as theater for a little bit that I was acting in a role to be able to help these families out. And that sounds kind of shitty <laughs> when you put it that way. But as long as like my intent was like, I, I want to be able to help these families, but I don't want them to feel like I don't know what I'm doing or I don't care. And eventually after doing this for so long where I was like, okay, you know, put on the hat, go in there and just act your little heart out. Eventually I was able to have enough interactions with these families that you, you start to build a well to draw from where it's like, okay, no, no, no. I, I know what the proper responses are. And it does come. It just took time. And honestly, I mean, even to pinpoint how long it took me to actually feel comfortable sitting across from a family making arrangements, I would say it probably took me like five years, in all honesty, straight up, to feel comfortable talking to families. And even now, I still feel weird. I mean, not all families, everyone's got a different personality type. Not everybody wants to hear your, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, like they don't want to hear that. The other half is just getting better at reading people uh, and not everybody's got communication skills, you know, uh, even if you try and work on them and, and you can get better, it, you might not feel like you're completely where you need to be to be able to actually meet with families every day. So the other half, I'm sorry, I'm going on very long in this question. The other half to this is, yeah, you can find jobs where you're primarily working with the deceased, especially with larger firms, if they have like embalming centers or just like funeral homes that have like multiple rooftops, like many, many rooftops that they have to... Um, have the different parts specialize. Uh, there are a lot more opportunities for you to be able to do just back of house stuff. Uh, one of the funerals I worked for, they literally had us divided into here's the embalmers and transfer team, and here's the funeral directors and like their assistant staff for funerals and meeting families. So yeah, that's totally something you could do. Just look for those bigger funeral homes. If you're in an area that you really can't move away from for work and they're, they're smaller funeral homes, you're kind of SOL on that. They are going to need licensed staff that can do everything because they're smaller. They can't they can't afford to have that many different staff members on payroll to split all the work essentially. So hopefully uh, you have something like that in your area or you don't mind moving to an area that has that. So uh, not so much a, a question, uh, but SmashFan64 submitted. Last year, my ex sadly passed away. It was sudden to me because I hadn't spoke to her in years and apparently she had been sick for a while. 
I went to the funeral held at the hospice and it all felt very tone deaf. They played a slideshow of a lot of pictures of her against that wonderful world somewhere over the rainbow song. And it just felt like she wouldn't have liked it. It felt forced and uncomfortable. I wish she had gotten a better ceremony. The reason I, I um, even though this, this was just more of a statement, I wanted to include this in this episode because I, I felt like it was very poignant. I see this a lot with people because as a society, I, I do think that what we want out of a funeral or a ritual uh, when it comes to death or celebrating death or however you want to put it, it it's changing quite a bit from what we used to. What our, our grandparents' funerals versus our parents' funerals versus our own are going to be extremely drastically different because society just moves a lot faster now. The, this is a very common thread that I see, uh, especially when we have younger generations going to funerals. It just, it feels like it's forced. It feels n- non-genuine. A, a lot of our parents get caught up and our grandparents get caught up in the, well, this is what we've always done, so this is the type of funeral we're going to have type thing, instead of maybe what's personal to the deceased. And, and this is where I, I, I myself run into a little back and forth. Funerals are meant to be for the living while honoring the dead, which is tough because the survivors, you know, maybe they're extremely Catholic, but the deceased wasn't. So they'll get the comfort that they want from having a Catholic mass versus what the deceased might have wanted instead, which might have been like a celebration party. And it's tough. It's it's tough to be able to ride that line. In, in situations like this, I've, I've definitely felt... The best thing to do is to have your own celebration of life that you feel like would have honored them the best. I've had this in my own personal life. A person that was dear to me was murdered and any type of funeral that would have been at a at a funeral home or a church or wherever would have felt so wrong and it's not what they would have wanted uh so we ended up having a celebration at a local club that they attended all the time music that they would have loved to hear we had shout outs and shots and all sorts of things that like that's what they would have wanted and it felt good to be there and to be honoring them in a way that we knew that they would have liked. They would have been there right there with us. I'm sorry that you weren't able to get the closure that you needed from that type of ceremony, but there's nothing wrong with having your own service in your own way. It doesn't have to be a big blown out celebration. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be between you and a few buddies sitting around a fire. It doesn't have to be big to be meaningful. It can be simple. So I, I recommend that to anybody that just feels that they didn't get what they needed out of a funeral service. Anonymous asks, I need to buy a suit, shirt, and tie for my own upcoming wake, but I don't have much money left, maybe $125. Can you help me with this? So something that, uh, this is just me in my general everyday life, like not even just like for shopping for fancy clothes. I hate how expensive suits and business attire is. I think it's ridiculous. Even for my own suit that I have to wear at work, I buy secondhand or I, I have never spent more than like $45 on a piece of clothing for work. That also comes into play with like, I don't want to get them dirty. I am often doing things that could cover me in slime in a suit. So <laughs> I don't really want to be spending big bucks on something like that. But that aside, I would always recommend to go thrift shopping. I, I really don't see the point in buying like a brand new fitted and tailored suit. So go down to your local, you know, Salvo or whatever have you and pick up some stuff from there. Even eBay can be a really good um, place to look for clothing. I mean, it might not come as fast as you need, but it's definitely more affordable. And you know what? Hey, hey, throwing out the traditional crap out of the way. Not every funeral is a black tie affair. It's not always, you got to come in a tuxedo. Uh, A lot of times our 
ways of looking at funerals is changing quite rapidly as well, along with our expectations of funerals. So you don't have to go with the suit coat. You can do like a vest. You can do khakis. I mean, in all fairness, I've seen it all at at funerals. I've seen people come in in what looks like club clothing to the funeral home or high reflective vests because they just came from work. The fact that you're going to be there at all matters more than what you're wearing. Eboy Daidara asks, Hello, as someone who is pursuing mortuary science, what are some good things to remember when things get tough? And what did you have the hardest time with and how did you cope with it? What was surprisingly easy for you? Thank you. You can ask a lot of funeral directors. There's usually a pretty high rate of substance abuse in our uh, field just because we don't always cope with things very well. I'll say I, I have been known to have a, a beer or two after after a shift when things are hard. For me personally, the context isn't the thing that's hardest to me, right? So like like a child dies, you know, a lot of people would think, oh, that's that's got to be your hardest day, right? Uh, context usually isn't as, as hard for me. That stuff I can kind of distance myself from. The things that follow me home are workload and like the stress levels. There's some BS going on at work between, you know, upper and middle, lower management stuff. And that's trickling onto me like that stuff. I drag that home. I'm mad. I'm upset. Burnout, like that kind of thing. That's what's tough to me personally. It does help to have somebody that you can go to, to at least vent about these things, whether they're in or outside of the industry. If I, if I go and talk to an, a coworker and try to vent, we're just going to get each other hyped up because we probably feel the same way about the nonsense that's happening. I have a partner. I'm lucky I'm able to talk to about these things. That's kind of an impartial third party. Well, I shouldn't say impartial. He's probably going to side with me most of the time, but it's nice to be able to have somebody that can be your outlet. And it's kind of like that Parks and Rec episode where it's just like, stop trying to fix what I'm telling you and just listen. Just somebody that's going to be like, yeah, man, that, you know, that does suck. And it kind of helps you go like away from it. Because if I just keep, if I don't resolve to be like, okay, I got this out of my head. I was able to say it out loud. I put it out into the world. So it's not inside of my brain anymore. I have to be able to cut off there. I can't keep just delving back into it like in the uh and you know what else kind of thing i need to be able to get it out and be done with it working out has been especially helpful i work out after my shifts usually just to have like that spacer like if i had a hard day it gives me an hour to just zone out and do something else and use my energy for another task before i go home so i'm not bringing that home with me it's it's nice to have something that I can feel constructive and creative with outside of work. So uh, obviously the podcast is a, is a big one. Being able to write and record and edit and, and interact with people off of our platforms, like that stuff is nice. It's a nice distraction. And I also feel like I've accomplished something. I've learned something. And honestly, lastly, of course, it, it sometimes you just need to melt your brain um, and sit in front of the TV and put on a good episode of one of your favorite shows, a nostalgia show. Video games are huge for me. Uh, getting lost, getting lost in another fictional world to be able to deal with somebody else's problems. Let me micromanage this little pixelated character's life for a little bit so I don't have to worry about mine. The surprisingly easy part of all of that was that I thought that I would be bringing home a lot more uh, of the context from work, but it ends up just being like every other job. The thing I bring home is the nonsense that goes on behind closed doors. 
Anon asks, is it possible for a body to reject embalming fluid and why? There's a way I could answer this, I suppose. And technically, yes, it, it could reject it. Not necessarily, I guess reject wouldn't be the word I use, but just not distribute properly. So if when you're pumping uh, embalming fluid into, usually through the carotid artery, that's our best line into the body to be able to have a full closed circuit to be able to get embalming fluid throughout the entire body. There's a few things that can make it so the fluids don't distribute into the tissues well. And the few things would be uh, the person has been dead for a very long time and decomposition has started. Obviously, when the highway that we use is starting to turn into sludge, um, it's not going to be able to distribute the fluids to all of the tissues that we need it to. Also, if somebody is like has been frozen, so like morgues and like hospitals will have like refrigeration temperature controlled environments but usually it's it's like refrigerator temperature right uh, because what happens when you start to freeze something you you take food and and you freeze like broccoli and you try, try to take it out and microwave it it's different it has been altered it is never going to be the, the same again just because a lot of the times those like ice crystals will form at the micro microscopic level uh, and that actually like makes tiny little cuts in in arteries yet again um, making leaks essentially micro leaks so we don't have a good distribution. Uh, even if like somebody's really cold, I won't even embalm them right away. I'll allow them to just try to get to room temperature to get some of those like little tiny crystals out of our way. The fluid will pool in places. It just, it's a bad embalming every time. Anytime I get a body that's frozen, I'm just, I am dreading it because it just, it's the worst. It's, it takes a, an hour long embalming and makes it an all day affair. <laughs> And another medical condition that could also, I mean, I guess stymie this would be like edema, right? Edema is the buildup of fluids in and around, in or around uh, cells. And when you have embalming fluid, which is like supposed to be a highly concentrated uh, chemical that's mixing with all of these like fluids inside of a body, it starts to nullify and water down what we're trying to put in there. So you have to use like twice as much or use specific embalming chemicals that help with with drying out edema, just so the embalming fluid can actually do its job. Marshmallow Doritos asks, Last Saturday, one of the family dogs died, and I found him in the living room. His body was room temperature and stuff like that from a body six plus hours after death. But what I'm asking is, touching a cold body was very, very shocking to me, and I finally understood the term dead weight. Although I want to be a mortician or something related to the profession, touching a corpse didn't let me think or sleep right for several days. It still does a bit. Does this get better after a while? I will say there's a, a huge difference between the types of grief that you experience, especially like a family pet. Like that's that's a lot different. It's something that you've directly cared for like its entire life. Uh, you have a much different emotional connection to that creature. I, I would say for a lot of people, losing a pet is almost sometimes more difficult than losing a person because like pets never do anything wrong, right? Your grandma, you know, she might have reprimanded you a few times or like, you know, humans can do wrong and create some types of emotional distance in your head. You just categorize them a little bit different. Dogs and cats and, and other pets, they just are naturally so wholesome and perfect. And so it is hard to lose them. So I can understand like that really messing with you uh, having to see that. But you know, that aside, just death in general, if I'm going to approach this question this way, it does. If you're planning on working in the industry, my first body was shocking. Watching them unzip the body bag and all these students gathered around the table, like we're all kind of like wide-eyed, just staring like, holy crap, this is happening in front of me right now. I'm about to touch a dead body. 
it's it's weird. But just like with a lot of other things, knowing that this is like, oh, well, this is my job now and this is my everyday and I'm going to see thousands of dead bodies throughout my entire life. It gets better. It does. It's very rare that I'll see a dead body where I'm just like, oh, wow, this is shocking to me still. Honestly, I can't even like name for you the last time that I was like taken aback by a body that I saw or touched or something that weirded me out. It's uh, It does get better. So you, you can bank on that. Anonymous asks, how do I go about shadowing a funeral director? I called two local funeral homes today, told them I was a college student and that I was considering going to mortuary school. I then asked if there would be a time to be able to shadow a funeral director and both people I spoke to seemed very confused. They told me there was not a lot I would be able to see, which I knew before calling, but they didn't seem to understand why I wanted to shadow. That's weird. I'm wondering if that's like a smaller you know, hometown funeral home or something. Because like, yeah, I mean, they're, you're right for knowing and they're right for saying like, you obviously can't be coming into the care center and looking at dead bodies. I mean, that's a conflict of interest. We know we talked about this a few questions ago. Uh, we can't just be showing dead bodies to anybody who comes off the street saying, oh, yes, I want to be a funeral director. But it does seem odd to me that they wouldn't be open for at least a tour at minimum. I can understand to a certain extent there's certain sensitive information like we couldn't have you necessarily shadowing every aspect, especially if you weren't accredited with a college because even if you were to help us do follow-up we're giving out personal information say i'm calling the cemetery to schedule a burial for whenever they're going to ask me what's the next of kids name address and phone number there's going to be a lot of paperwork sensitive information on it so that's stuff that we couldn't really have you shadow alongside of and i I guess like protecting the family from like oh there's just like some dude that's watching this funeral ceremony who's not part of a college that that could make them feel very uncomfortable. But even even all that aside, it's odd to me that they weren't able to kind of like pivot and be like, oh yeah, you know, no, we'll, we'll have you uh, at least come in for a tour and we can describe a few of the things that we do around the funeral home. That is odd to me. I would definitely try a different funeral home to see if they'd be more responsive. Because uh, yeah, some, some funeral homes aren't all about the, the education aspects. Uh, sometimes they're too busy or too small and can't give you the enough staff to be able to walk you through that kind of thing. It just, it just really depends. I would have given you a tour if it was my funeral home, if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> Another uh, statement submitted to us is by a Hello Kitty Bitch. Lovely, lovely username. Love that. 10 out of 10. At my papa's funeral, it was pretty simple. But the part that brought me the most peace was how full of life and peaceful he looked, even in his casket. Being able to see him look like himself made me feel better. But one thing that bothered me was that all of his wrinkles were gone and it made it a little off for me. This is something that's really tricky uh, when we embalm somebody. A lot of the times when somebody is in the stages of dying, they start to lose a lot of weight or they become very dehydrated. Some people get used to seeing people in a certain way. And then I know this isn't exactly what your question was asking, but it kind of does all play together. Uh, People's expectations of what their loved one's going to look like. Embalming changes people a lot, or it can change them not at all when it comes to this. It just really depends. The embalming could have started and they could have uh, received the fluid too well. It could actually kind of have pumped out and plumped up his face. The, the They actually could have used what's called feature builder, which is like you basically you put it into a syringe with a needle. It's kind of like a little more viscous. Once this like jelly stuff comes in contact with the moisture that's in tissues, it starts to firm up. Uh, so it's basically like Botox. So they could have potentially 
tried to plump out certain parts of his face, like the temples that are usually sunk in, and that could have obviously uh, erased his wrinkles as well. It, it just all depends. That's something that's very hard for us to is to try to perfectly make people look like themselves after death, because sometimes we can make them look 10 out of 10 better. They were sick for a long time, now they look like themselves again. We also don't always have photos before we embalm to be able to try to do that. And yet again, you never know what's going to happen during embalming. It's it's like cooking, not necessarily baking. Baking is very, to add exactly this much baking powder and exactly this much flour, and you get these results. It's a lot more loosey-goosey, uh, embalming is, because we are kind of just going with the flow as, as we go. And that's it. Okay, no pun intended we're just kind of responding as we go. Obviously, you can look somebody over and be like, okay, I think they're going to need this based on their condition, but we don't know what's going on inside of somebody. We don't know what their medical conditions are ahead of time. We don't know what kind of life they lived and whether their arteries are going to be clogged or not and have um, like sclerotic arteries full of plaque. There's no way for us to see inside of somebody to know exactly what's going to happen. We're really just by the seat of our pants half the time and responding to the reaction that the body's having to fluids as we go. So... Uh, it's, this, this happens a lot. People will be like, oh, you look a little different than I remember Uncanny Valley. So I'm glad in general, that was a good experience for you. Hopefully that kind of explains why he might've had a little youth, more youth to his face. (laughs) Anonymous asks, has there ever been a decedent that you've ever gotten more attached to than any of the others? And if so, what drew you to them? No one in specific that I can name yet again. I've seen, I see so many bodies, but it's usually the youth younger folks and when i when i mention that specifically i mean more to my age people that i'm i'm younger and so when i see somebody who's my age that i'm working with that tends to get me more involved with them it's easier to relate to them especially usually because it's a more traumatic death cancers general traumas homicides violent deaths stuff like that so you tend to put be able to put yourself in their shoes a lot more like i actually just had one recently that was very sweet i made a really good connection with the family and and it's not very often that like families have specific requests for makeup. It's like the same little lady cookie cutter type makeup that we do, the, the natural look. But especially with the youth, there's a lot more uh, makeup trends and styles that we have to try to mimic sometimes. Like, oh my God, putting wings on a dead person's eyes is <laughs> the worst thing in the entire world. I can't even do my own. But yeah, like I, I remember connecting with a family during the arrangement over her and she liked a specific type of music that I liked. She had specific makeup that they wanted done and it, they were just very worried about how she was going to look. And so I was like, okay, okay. I spent that morning, I got all my stuff together. I put on some of the tunes that she would have liked to listen to. And I spent time with her just hanging out. Like it's how it felt to me. I was hanging out with her, painting her nails a specific color that the family would like and and doing her makeup in a specific way. And like being able to call the family after, because I was actually, I was, I, I was excited uh, with how she turned out. I think she looked great. And so I just wanted to call the family and reassure them like, hey, I just finished spending time with your loved one. And we had a really good morning together. We were hanging out a little bit. It was like a spa day. And I, I think you're really going to be pleased with our makeup kind of thing. So like stuff like that is what kind of brings me closer to, I mean, get, I guess call it narcissism if you want. People that remind me of myself or my my age group, I tend to get a little closer to. So call it what it is. <laughs> uh, another anonymous asks, what are your feelings on scientific research about extending lifespans and maybe even almost eliminating dying of old age? We are becoming a generation which is looking into our future and plans when we die and being more positive towards our plans for death. But many people say that by fully and completely accepting that we will likely die of old age or we will die as we grow older is holding back attempts to extend our lifespans. So this is something that I actually feel extremely strongly about. 
living longer is not living better. Uh, and I see that firsthand all the time. People are living, living longer than they ever have in human history anyway. But the quality of life once people get older is not good. Um, not everybody gets to live to be 98 and like still be living by themselves, driving their own cars, stuff like that. Like a lot of times people are in nursing homes and, and different care facilities for long periods of time. Memory care facilities, like not really having a full control over their life anymore. And that's not, for me personally, that's not it, Chief. I don't want that for myself. Uh, once I'm not able to do the things I want to do anymore, like I'm out of here. Like that's not, that, that's it for me. If we're able to extend people's lives and qualities of lives, yes, I'm all about those different types of advancements in the medical fields. On the funeral director side of things, I will say this really sucks. The like longer people are living, the more illnesses that they can get and like our bodies embalm so poorly now it is so much harder to embalm people i feel like because there's so much more like they've been living too long their vascular system sucks they have so many different medical conditions that get in the way of us being able to do a, a well presentable body and so like that that i don't necessarily like it also is just not great for the funerals because there's like no one there <laughs> they've outlived everybody so it's just like you know three family members and a few of their friends coming in so the funerals are getting smaller and, and weirder aspects when people are getting older so yeah i i love you know the positivity around death and i love us all thinking about our own deaths but as long as we're expanding the quality of life along with extending lifespans i would all i would be completely about that Electric Sympathy asks, Hello, I am writing fiction and looking for ways to reduce the smell of decomp. I need my investigator to spend a lot of time analyzing a room with exsanguinated corpses inside and want to alter the murder method and conditions to make this easier on him as possible. I had heard a rumor that creating an incision in the gut shortly after death will reduce gut flora proliferation and therefore cut down on the smells. Is this true? So kind of a two-parter question there. I guess that would be true. That's usually one of the biggest uh, culprits when it comes to decomp is going to be the gut bacteria for sure. Some of the, the nastiest ones we have before and after death. I can see why that would help. But the other thing is blood is especially great for bacteria too. We have little highways all over our bodies that make it really easy for bacteria to get through us. And also our blood is full of delicious nutrients for them. So, I mean, yeah, it would probably slow it down a little bit to have a perforation in the gut, but I wouldn't say probably make a huge difference. And maybe I'm misunderstanding this question a little bit, but something that if, if like your detective has to be in this area for a long time and just like can't handle the smell or something and needs a way for it to not be as smelly. Something that we actually did when we were in Mort school that they told us to get ahead of time along with like all of our different uh, personal protective equipments and, and stuff like that was to get like a mentholated Vaseline. Uh, and then you would be able to put that underneath your nose, like on your top lip, and then that would go under your mask. And so you just have this like smell trapped in your um, nose basically that's just like this mentholation uh, instead of like the the decomposition smells and like the different death smells that happen so that could be an option for him definitely would suggest a mask as well because it kind of keeps that smell trapped inside as well up next to your nose hopefully i answered that question appropriately <laughs> and we've uh we've come to our last question and i've saved it for last very <laughs> Very specific, you guys will understand in a second. Very specifically, just because it's just, it's a banger. This user asks, and I'm reading it verbatim exactly how it was submitted to me. It is in all caps. Uh, so I might back up from the mic a little bit for this one. 
I'm a cross-dresser in Indiana. A fantasy of mine is looking for a funeral home in my area that will let me dress up in female attire and lay in a casket in the funeral home and someone take pictures. Do you know of any? No. No, I do not. Nobody would. Uh, no, there is no funeral home that will allow you to do that. I can understand why you might want to do this. The funeral home aesthetic is very chic. The best thing you're going to be able to do is uh, get in touch with some of the maybe local haunts and uh, haunted houses that you guys have. A lot of the times they have like secondhand caskets that they have for props and stuff. Uh, Again, because people sell caskets all the time. Like uh, freaking you can find them on like Facebook Marketplace. It's insane. That's definitely not something you're going to be able to do at a funeral home. But uh, there are other options for maybe private collectors that have a casket that they let you do that in. I mean, there's actually a bar that I used to go to a lot that had a casket in their basement uh, that we took photos in all the time. But yeah, no, not at a, uh, a funeral home. I wish you luck finding somebody else, though. Maybe like a Craigslist personal ad would be a good place for that. We super thank you guys for submitting such titillating questions. I honestly never know what I'm going to get when I check out our Tumblr DMs. Uh, Just as a heads up, there are quite a few questions that I've glossed over from people over the years on how to get into the business. We get these questions literally constantly. So maybe coming soon, we'll do like a mini-sode on like steps to take to like actually get into the death care industry. For anyone else who's yet to get their question answered or people who may want to submit for the future, uh, we'll absolutely be doing another Tumblr questions episode. Just go to tumblr.com slash Podcast, and then you can just click on the Ask the Deputies button and submit away. Like I said, I apologize that it took us this long to get to it. Um, I stopped getting notifications for some reason, so I just didn't even see that you guys had submitted stuff to us. So I appreciate all of your patience with this, and we look forward to doing more episodes with you guys uh, on questions you ask. We love to get questions and we love answering them so thank you guys for being involved and that's it this week for more mike connect with us on our socials at facebook and youtube at more mike podcast if you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions you might have about death shoot us an email at more at gmail.com a huge thanks to joey our dedicated studio gopher marson music for our theme deputies of death and macklin legan for our custom icons and banners and be sure to tune in the first thursday of every month for some more casual discussions on death thank you guys so much for listening this has been mort mike